You're listening to a University of Warwick podcast. For more information on the university, please visit warwick.ac.uk. Professor Nigel Hitchin is a mathematician, serving as a professional fellow and civilian professor of geometry at Oxford. Hitchin received an honorary doctor of science from the University of Warwick in July 2014. Here he is speaking to GB Jenkins. Professor Hitchin, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Firstly, what are you currently working on? Well, uh, at the moment, um, I'm looking at uh, an aspect, a new aspect of some equations which uh, I kind of discovered maybe almost 30 years ago. So you might think that that's really an old hat. But in fact, uh, mathematics is uh, it's not like many sciences, that uh, ideas last a long time, that... Um, citation rates are very different from other sciences. And so this is a, it relates to a problem which uh, nowadays many people call the Hitchens equations, but uh, I, I call them the Higgs bundle equations. They're related to some uh, piece of differential geometry which is very much influenced by theoretical physics. And so the, the Higgs in the in the description is actually the, uh, it's the same Higgs that won the Nobel Prize recently. But I'm not talking about Higgs bosons, but about mathematical objects which uh, bear some resemblance to the, the ones which occur in the, the physical formulas. And so this is a, a, an area which I found almost by accident, uh, but it's uh, turned out to be a very useful uh, tool in many, many different uh, areas, and indeed it's, I'm now approaching the 30th anniversary of, the, of when I actually first discovered them. So there's a, a, a new aspect of this at the moment, which, uh, is re which relates to some different types of geometrical questions than the ones which, which I've been uh, considering in the past. So, uh, but then I have a number of other other themes going on, uh, which I work on together with my graduate students and my my postdocs. Uh, but at the moment, it's it's studying. I I'll give you the technical name. These are Higgs bundles for groups of symplectic diffeomorphisms. So, I don't know how many of the listeners will understand what that means, but this is this is my my current interest. Thank you. You, you mentioned there the timescales that math works on compared to other um, sciences. And you completed your undergraduate degree in 1969, and you've stayed in the field of mathematics ever since. So what's kept you interested? Sometimes, I, I suppose in the first, uh, the first few years of my postdoctoral work, uh, I like, like most postdocs, there are things left over from your thesis that you're working on. But I tried to move into other areas, and I tried to learn something about... Uh, something about theoretical physics from the papers of Penrose uh, because they linked up with things that I was doing at the time. But I, was no, I, was no, I wasn't really trying to do any, anything serious uh, related to physics. Um, and so I, I jumped from one subject to another in differential geometry and proved a few theorems here and there. Um, but probably the main influence was in the mid-1970s when uh, an idea came from the theoretical physicists into uh, geometry. Uh, this was the, the problem of instantons. And uh, it turned out that it just it arrived in, in mathematics at just the right time, at the time when mathematicians were looking at these things but without knowing that they were called instantons but from a different point of view. 
and we had some tools, the, the, the physicists had some examples, they had the right questions, we, we wouldn't have been thinking about things in the same way, and it turned out that together with uh, Tia, uh, Drinfeld, Manin, uh, and the work of Penrose and Ward, we kind of put everything together and gave a very nice uh, solution. And that was, that was very influential in my work, the idea that physicists had a, a different set of intuitions from mathematicians, and yet they could feed us uh, problems which we were able to solve, and they, they perhaps weren't. And I think ever since then, that's been my, uh, my main source of, uh, of inspiration, if you like, uh, the challenges posed by a certain class of theoretical physicists. Thank you. Um, actually, from inspiration, that leads us quite nicely on to the next question of what makes you happy? What makes me happy? Well, like most uh, students at school or university, you know, when you solve a problem, when you suddenly see how it's going to work, even if you haven't worked out all the details, that's uh, a great feeling of satisfaction. I think that's what often drives students to come to university to study study mathematics. The uh, the buzz that you get by solving a problem. I'm not saying that that's exclusive to mathematics. Um, so, you know, even now, I suppose, that's, uh, that still makes me happy. But, I mean, it's the, it's the um, you know, you spend a lot of time thinking about things, approaching them in lots of different ways, wondering whether things are going to work, wondering, wondering whether things are true, and then once, once the light clears and, and you see where you have to go, that's, uh, that, yeah, that makes for happiness. That's within work. Of course, uh, you know, there's similar experiences in, in life where you, I mean, I like to go for walks, for long walks, and uh, I like that uh, also because it clears my head. It, uh, uh, just the rhythm of walking somehow uh, liberates the mind from, from uh, all sorts of troubles, and very often, to be honest. Uh, mathematical ideas have come to me when I'm going for long walks, but I don't, I don't go for walks just to do that. It's just, uh, it's a way of kind of uh, shaking out the cobwebs from the mind and, and getting exercise at the same time. So those are the things which, those things which I, well, of course, there are very other things, you know, listening to music and they're also a nice day. Today is a little bit too hot for me, but, you know, a nice, crisp, sunny day. That's, that's, that makes me happy too. Thank you. Um, Warwick will be celebrating its 50th anniversary next year and um, we'll be celebrating our successes but we'll also be looking to the future. What do you think will be the big challenges and opportunities uh, for everyone over the next five decades? It's difficult to say. You know, um, uh, topics in mathematics which are uh, studied are often go in waves. So uh, I first came to Warwick University in the early days, actually. It was um, before I was a graduate student. I came here to a summer school in probably 1968. And at that time, dynamical systems was the thing that everybody wanted to study. Uh, there was a big group based in Berkeley, and, uh, and I think Christopher Zeeman, when he started the mathematics department here, he, he saw this as the... Uh, as the way forward. And of course it was a very good idea because it was hardly studied at all in the UK and so he, you know, he brought these ideas. But also at the same time there was, I mean it was the, uh, the mid-60s uh, that uh, algebraic topology was a big subject in the mid-60s. That kind of declined uh, over you know, 
maybe 20, 30 years later. But some of the language of uh, algebraic topology has now, has now come back. And it, it, so there, there, are, there are these waves, you know, that uh, nowadays it, it could be uh, al algebraists or some theoretical physicists who, who talk in the language of uh, abstract homotopy theory, the language that was developed for one set of problems but now becomes uh, a valid approach for others. So it's, it's, it's rather difficult to, difficult to say uh, what in the next 50 years will happen. I mean, so we're now, most of the students now coming uh, to Oxford anyway who want to study algebra or geometry, they're, they're learning about what's called higher category theory, uh, which again is a kind of um, rethink and uh, expansion of the ideas of Grotendieck in the 1950s. Um, it's a sub, it's an, you know, so it's, it's what, what new students, it's a language new students have to learn, and it means that the type of problems which are uh, presented to them uh, are, have, a, have a particular nature. And this is another example, to be honest, of ideas coming from theoretical physics, but not from the type of idea that I was working on or I have been working on, but these are, these are ideas which are in a way much closer to quantum physics. It involves counting, it, it involves functions which uh, collect together whole numbers which are supposed to count objects. And the uh, uh, physicists have a very good record of when they approach a mathematical problem of saying that there's some quantum field theory that uh, applies to it and the partition function has these properties and then there's a challenge for the mathematicians to actually see, see that it's true. But then then you find that actually the way that physicists count is not perhaps the way that mathematicians would naively count. And so they develop a theory which allows them to count in the way that the physicists do. So this is, this is a, big, a big area. But, you know, if, if I'm asked whether, whether in 50 years' time it, this, this will be in the undergraduate syllabus, you know, I, I'm, I'm not so sure. You know, there are these waves. There was a, a time when analysis in the UK was all functional analysis, a very abstract form of analysis, uh, which has in some respects uh, some, some kind of uh, uh, analogue in this, this higher category theory. Uh, it hasn't faded away, but it's, 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 uh, it's mutated into another, another subject. So, um, you know, looking to the future is always rather difficult, uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, it seems pretty clear one way or another, ideas from uh, theoretical physics, from string theory and so on, even if string theory as a physical theory, as from the results, the negative results from the LHC, even if it kind of fades away, there's still some very interesting mathematics in there. And I'm sure that that will continue to be influential in the years to, the years to come. Thank you. Um, and finally, um, you're graduating today with an honorary degree. Um, what words of wisdom will you be imparting on your fellow graduates? Well, um, I can certainly say that my fellow graduates in mathematics will find that their mathematics should serve them in good stead in uh, employment opportunities in the future. In the past, I've asked uh, students who uh, come back uh, several years after they've graduated, sometimes I've asked them, well, uh, how much of what you learned at university has been relevant to your job? And often they say, well, you know, nothing. It's, it's all basically A-level mathematics. But then there's this, this aspect that 
sometimes you, you need to do a PhD to understand what your undergraduate course was really about. And it's a question of perspective. It's not a question of being able to answer problems, being able to see that maybe there is, you only need a, a simple uh, approach in order to resolve things. And you don't get that if at an, perhaps at an undergraduate level or when you're doing A-levels, you don't see it then. There's this, uh, this way of uh, looking back. You, you, you do some sophisticated mathematics, it gives you a perspective on what, what you did a few years before, and that helps you to use it in, in the real world. Uh, now, of course, um, uh, employers, I think, value analytical skills and all sorts of other things which go with a mathematics degree, but uh, I think it's pretty clear that uh, in recent years, uh, more and more uh, students in, in schools are, are doing mathematics at university, and this is a very healthy, healthy trend, I think. It's not just, uh, I'm not just part of a pressure group trying to do that. I think it's good for the country because they, 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 they do have skills which are uh, useful and uh, valuable in the employment sector. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you.